Well, good morning, Oakwood family. We are completing this series this morning called The Invite. And just a reminder from last week, and Alan's going to come talk about this in just a little bit, but a reminder that we have these cards. The great news is we printed a whole bunch of these, hundreds of these last week, put them on the uh, tables out there. All of them were missing, so we reprinted more this week. Uh, Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Hey, we appreciate you doing that. Cool, quick story on an invite from last week. Somebody took this to the restaurant to lunch with them, and they had a family sit next to them, felt uh, just propelled to uh, hand them the card invite them to church. Found out after they had done that, that family uh, that had only been in Enid for a couple weeks and hadn't found a church home yet and so planted some seeds there. So again, there's power in the invite. We learned last week that God will use you, that God wants to use you, and he uses every Christian to be his evangelist. That's why the scripture says that we are his ambassadors, we're his representatives to the lost and dying world. That we are to take the good news of Christ, the good news of forgiveness of sins and a new way of life, and we are to take that to the lost and dying world. And we know that everyone is in different relational circles, and so everyone can touch different people with that gospel message in a different way at a different time, and God wants to use all of us. Now, I have good news this morning. All of the excuses that you've probably had in your mind your whole life of why you haven't shared your faith can be thrown out now. Okay, God will give you everything that you need. You do not have to have a seminary degree to share your faith. You do not have to um, have this uh, supernatural ability to speak certain words. You don't have to have all of this uh, Bible knowledge that, you know, just beyond. So many people have all these excuses, well, I don't know enough, or I'm not good enough, or, you know, God just wouldn't use someone like me. I mean, he just wouldn't use use someone like me to, to be on mission for him. The good news is that God not only uses those people, but I think in Scripture prefers those people to the ones that maybe you feel like they know it all. He wants the ones that are dependent on him for their faith, and he's going to use them in mighty ways for the kingdom. I have some good news about this this morning because of uh, Scripture in the Bible that talks about who Jesus called in that first century to be his disciples. Who were the ones that he called? It, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the Jewish uh, ruling council. It wasn't ones and guys that were hanging out in the synagogue all the time. In fact, what we're going to read is a passage today that talks about how these people that Jesus called to be his disciples and that would go on and, and, and lead his church, plant churches all throughout the New Testament, these people were ordinary, Scripture says. In fact, I was reminded of this verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Okay, you have to understand the context here. This is Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples. They are before the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And, and they're, they're getting scolded because they keep talking about Jesus. And they're like, we, we crucified Jesus. Don't talk about him anymore. And, and they are boldly before this council. Listen to what it says in Acts 4.13. It says, when they, and it's talking about the Jewish Sanhedrin, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary people that have been with Jesus. Does that describe you? That describes me. That, that, that's, that's what we need to be. We need to be people that have had our own personal experience with Jesus. And we want to go share that story and that gospel message truth with the lost and dying world. And Jesus was an inviter. 
Jesus was one that would invite people to be on mission with him. Jesus chose these these common fishermen to be kingdom workers and to lead the Jewish movement that led to plant churches in the first century and even led us into our Christian faith even in this room today through the spread of the gospel in the New Testament and beyond. Jesus called them to begin a journey with him and he invited them. We're going to look at a passage that started it all this morning. One of Jesus' first invitations, it's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there this morning to Matthew, chapter 4. That is the uh, first book in the New Testament, if you're looking for it. If you don't have your paper Bible, you are always welcome to follow along on your phone. Or if you brought an iPad, a tablet with you, just download the Oakwood app. Just search Oakwood Enid in the App Store. Download the app. When you open the app, it has sermon notes right there. If you'll click on that, you'll have all the scriptures and all the bullet points today. There's also a really cool way for you to interact and engage the Word of God by taking notes. It'll actually save your notes in the app for you. So you can reference those later. And, and here's the thing is we want you to engage the Word of God. When I'm listening to sermons, and you, and you know that about me, I'm a sermon nut, listen to sermons and podcasts all the time. When I'm listening, I'm way more engaged if I'm reading, following along, have something in my hand to write with, read with, something to engage it and take it a step further. And so that's my hope and my, my prayer for you today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. I don't know what your subheading says there, but in my Bible it says Jesus calls his first disciples. Jesus is inviting these men to join him on the Jesus mission. Let's read the passage together, beginning with verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Several things I want to draw out from this passage this morning. This is one of those passages that I have taught this before. In fact, I think I've taught this passage twice before. I, 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 I've been through it so many times. And it's one of those passages that every time I, I go back to it, something else jumps out. There's there's something else that I hadn't thought of before. And so that's why I encourage you to read the Bible, reread the Bible, study and meditate on the Bible because I think God wants to speak to us. And sometimes it's a supernatural, Holy Spirit-led way to understand his word and to draw out of it and apply it to our lives. And so I want to share some thoughts with you this morning. The first one is this. The consistent command of Jesus is to follow me. Consistently throughout Scripture, the command of Jesus is to follow me. The disciples here who will begin a three-year daily journey with Jesus, Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. In Matthew 9, when Jesus calls a tax collector, who's probably Matthew, the one writing this book, Jesus was telling him, follow me. Me. When he calls to a wee little man up in a tree and says, I want to go to your house today and share a meal with you, Jesus was calling him and saying, Follow me. When the woman was caught in adultery, 
And at the end of that story, Jesus says, go and live your life of sin. Jesus was telling her to follow me. And as you go throughout the gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you understand that Jesus is calling people to follow him. And what have we done with that command today? Sometimes I, I think we, we see the heart of it here. We see exactly what Jesus is calling them to. But we make it a call to other things. Sometimes we think that following Jesus means some things like this. Uh, if you follow Jesus, you just uh, attend church. But here when Jesus calls the disciples, he doesn't follow me and come to church. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. Some people think it means only believing in Jesus. If you just believe he existed, right? That, that's what it means to follow. You know, when Jesus said follow me, it means believe, believe that I exist. But we read in Scripture that even the demons believe and tremble. Uh, some of us would say, well, if we would like Jesus, kind of like a social media kind of like, like, hey, man, I really like Jesus. I like, I like his words. I like some of his teachings. I love the stories about his life. You know what? I, I really, really like Jesus. And, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me, was to be a follower, like you're a follower on Facebook. That's what it meant. Did you give him the thumbs up? And you, No. We've made following Jesus mean a lot of things that it doesn't mean. And yet Jesus gives us the call right here at the very beginning in his first example of invitation to other people. He tells them exactly what they're getting themselves into. They're getting into a life that means total surrender. They're getting into a life that means total defection from the world. And that they're going to be on a mission with Jesus. What does he say there? Verse 19, he says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. You will be my evangelists. You will be ambassadors for Christ and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and even into the ends of the earth. You will be on mission for me. And so the call to follow Jesus right up front includes this call to make disciples, to be evangelists, to share the gospel with other people. It's a consistent command of Jesus when he says to follow me. He's saying, follow me and join me on this disciple-making mission. Second thing this morning. Following Jesus means you will need to leave some things behind. Following Jesus means you need to leave some things behind. Behind. Look what it says there in verse 20. The response of Peter and Andrew was, At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, the sons of Zeb. It says, And immediately they left the boat, their father, and followed him. When I've read this and studied this before and actually taught this before, I, I was really hung up on verse 20 and verse 22 for completely different reasons. What really jumped out at me was the urgency of the obedience to follow Jesus. Notice in verse 20 there, it begins by saying, at once. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I, I will make you fish for men. And at once, I mean immediately, they, they responded and followed Jesus. And if you get down to verse, verse 22, it's the same response. It says in verse 22, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. But when I was reading it and studying it this time, what jumped out to me was at once they left, and immediately they left. They left. They left because following Jesus means that you're going to have to leave some things behind. 
Specifically here in our passage, it says they left the nets. That means they, they left their career pursuits. They left the family business. They were actually going to be with Jesus and follow him around, and so it means they were going to leave their comfort zone. They were going to leave their, their family. They were going to leave their community and to go out. They were going to leave some relationships behind and some friendships. It also meant to them that they were leaving behind their future plans. You know, they had it charted out. I'm sure that Peter and Andrew were like, Dad, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to learn the business like you have, a successful uh, fishing business here. And then someday, Dad, you're going to pass that on to us. I mean, they had plans. They had big plans. You know, this is what we're going to do. This is, this is who we are. We are fish people. And so, so we're going to go out and we're going to fish for fish. And Jesus turns that on its side and says, no. You follow me, and I'm going to teach you to fish for men. So many people today will say, well, the call to follow Jesus is a little bit different for us today. It's different because Jesus is not physically here. And I would push back on that and say, yet. But Jesus isn't physically here, and so it's a little bit different for us today to, to follow Jesus, to do what it says here in Scripture when Jesus asks those that would put their faith in him to follow me. And I, and I would push back and say, not, not really, not necessarily. It, it means that sometimes we are called to sacrifice the same things. We are called to, with immediacy, to leave our nets, to leave our plans, to leave some of our friends and our family behind. Some of you that have followed Jesus, you know the high cost of following Christ Jesus. It meant that some relationships and some people that you were close to now all of a sudden you disagree with him on a whole slew of things. It's, called, it's caused contentiousness in your family because of your choice to follow Christ Jesus. And so we are called to leave some things behind. Sometimes we're called to leave our past behind. We're called to leave our future plans behind. We're called to uh, leave behind just the, the, the thought that we live for ourselves every day. We, you know, we make our future plans and we're like, hey, you know, I'm doing this and I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. And it means that you leave behind those things. You leave behind those things so that you walk in the ways of Jesus. And Jesus is not a fringe thing. He is the center thing in your life. And you will fix your eyes and your mind and your heart on Christ Jesus. Because to do so, you have to, to follow him. If you're really going to follow him, you have to fix your eyes on him. And when you follow Jesus, then your life now is really about Jesus. This is the pattern. This is what we see from the disciples in the New Testament. They were centered around him. They learned all they could from him. And they found their very existence and being and meaning of life in him. It was all about Jesus. And they understood at a very deep level and deeper than I think many of us do today that following Jesus means that you will need to leave some things behind. And I want you to consider that this morning. Consider this question. What do you need to leave behind to follow Jesus? Now that's not something that you're going to probably just write an answer to now. That's something I want you to think about. 
What do you personally need to leave behind to follow Jesus? Because if you're a Christian, I venture a guess that you left something behind when you chose to accept Christ in the first place. You know what I'm talking about, right? The whole repentance of sins. You turned your back on a sinful life. Maybe it was a life of pain and you were glad to come running to Jesus and to get out of it. But for some, it may have been a big, bigger and a deeper struggle. When you were to repent of your sins and turn your back on sinfulness and move toward Christ's likeness in your life. But you had to leave some things behind. You had to leave some things that you'd done in your past behind. You had to actually leave behind who you were before Christ. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new person, a new creation. The old things have gone. Oh, look, behold, all things are made new. I'm excited today for Reese and for Rachel. What a great way to start a worship service, right? As they were buried under the watery grave of baptism, we see the symbolic washing away of sins and being raised out to walk in newness of life. And the challenge for them and for every believer is to leave the past and the old life and the old sinful ways and the old sinful mindsets behind. To leave them behind and to be able to pursue and go forward with Christ Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. And I want you to consider what do you need to leave behind to follow Jesus? What is the distraction of this world? Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a hobby Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something far more. Maybe it's a sin pattern that you are stuck in. This repetitive, habitual sin pattern. And you need to put it to the side and you need to leave it behind so that you can follow Jesus. If we're going to have a church that is evangelistic and that it has a culture of inviting people to Jesus, this is necessary as a model for others to show them that we leave the past, we leave the sinful life behind, and we pursue Christ with all that we are. The third thing this morning, following Jesus means spending more time with him than ever before. When Jesus told these disciples and, they, and he said, hey, follow me, he really meant it. Three years, almost every day, they spend with Jesus. Do the math in your head really fast. Three years, 365 days. Of Jesus' time. And what happened to these unschooled, ordinary men? They got to be with Jesus. And it transformed them and emboldened them. And God put the burden for the early church on their shoulders. And you may say, well, that's a little concerning. I'm not sure I'd be going after the fishermen type guys, right? But that's who Jesus chose. And he transformed them over this discipleship time of three years, 365 days. Lots of hours with Jesus. And I got, I got to wondering about that. Three years of transformation. Three years of discipleship. Three years of the Son of God, probably the best disciple maker ever, maybe. Best teacher ever. Supernatural powers. Yeah. They spent three years... 365 days a year with Jesus. I wonder how many of us have done that in our life. 
If you've been a Christian for like five years, do you think you've had like 365 times three training with Jesus? Probably not, right? Probably like not even possible. What about, what about a Christian who's been a Christian for like 25 years? What about a Christian that's been a Christian for 40 years? Or maybe someone who's been walking with Jesus for 60 years? Do you think that if you counted the hours, a 24-hour period with Christ, 365 days for times three, for three years, that's who these men were. Following Jesus means spending more time with him than ever before. Following Jesus means spending more time with him than ever before. I don't know why sometimes we think we can spend less time with Jesus and produce a better result. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I mean, I mean, how are we as Christians sometimes? All right, Jesus, I'm giving you five minutes. You got my morning Devo, okay, five. That's, that's what you get is the big five, okay? I might pray over lunch. It's Sunday, so I'm sure I will. Because that's what you do on Sundays. You pray for your lunch. You just got out of church, by golly. And after that, you know, I did, man, more, oh, evening, it depends, you know? I got a lot going on tonight. You know, I got to trim my bushes. I got to mow the lawn soon. And, you know, I've got all this stuff. And, I gotta, you know, and I really, really wanted to watch this and do this and consume this media and stuff. And so uh, it's funny because as Christians today, it's like, can we consolidate Jesus anymore in our lives? Can we just like give him like five or ten? And like, isn't that good enough? I mean, aren't we like, woo, we're disciples. We're looking like Jesus, more encouraged, more emboldened to share our faith because of the five minutes that we gave Jesus. We spend more time building our businesses and our careers more than we spend with Jesus. And these guys were challenged to leave their businesses and their careers to be developed into Christ followers to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying these guys were perfect, and we're going to read a little bit later that, that they had their struggles. But it's interesting. I think your time with Jesus needs to be on the uptick your whole life. That you should be spending more and more time in the Word, more and more time with prayer, more and more time with Christian brothers and sisters that are sharpening you and challenging you spiritually, if it transformed and emboldened the disciples of Jesus back in this time, I think it would do well to transform and embolden the disciples for Jesus today so that maybe we can get our little card out and invite someone to a gathering or to an outreach event or maybe even take it a step further and share our gospel story of our faith in Jesus Christ. But we have to be ready to spend more time with Jesus and all the more as you see the last days approaching. Fourth thing this morning, following Jesus means becoming more like him. Following Jesus means becoming more like him. There's no greater compliment to your life as a true disciple of Jesus Christ than for someone to say, you look more like Jesus now than you did yesterday. You look more like Jesus today than you did five years ago, than you did 10 years ago. Following Jesus means you become more like him. Which means what? From the very beginning call here in Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22, is that he's going to make you into fishers of men. You'll be on fire evangelists 
and be sharing your faith and inviting everyone. There was this obvious transformation that had taken place with the disciples. The sanctification process. Yes, it's a process. Yes, it will take time. But there was this transformation in the sanctification that was ongoing with the disciples. And as you encountered Peter from B.C., before Christ, and to after Christ, and after meeting him, and after training under him for three years, and after his relationship with Jesus, Peter was a different person. Peter had changed. He had been through the process. And he became more and more like Christ Jesus. Another thing, if you want to answer the call to follow me, following Jesus means that you love him. And for some of us, it might mean that we love him more. We love him more today than we did yesterday. That our love and passion for Jesus Christ is on the increase in our lives. Do you really love him? Are you motivated and moved by his expression of love for us? You know, sometimes I know we fight emotions as humans. I don't know what that is. I, I mean, I grew up that same way too, right? Guys, if you're tough and you're manly and you're burly and you got hair on your back, you don't cry, you know? I don't know what that's about. Uh, I remember as a 12-year-old kid making a decision for Christ at church camp and crying like a baby walking from the chapel all the way back to my cabin with a group of boys. I'll never forget that night. One of the guys that walked the camp walk with me was Corey Bricks, our children's minister. I remember Corey being overwhelmed. You're, you're overwhelmed with guilt about your sins that nailed Jesus to the cross and overwhelmed that Jesus would take on all the torture and the cross and you just get to this point, how can you not love this man? I mean, he's done everything for you. How can you not be growing in love for him? I think sometimes we forget I think we remember when we accepted him when we were 12 years old. But as we age and as we get distracted by the, the things that we chase in this world, we, I wouldn't say maybe we don't love him, but we don't love him more. We don't see that on the increase of our lives. And sometimes I think it's good for us to remember. It is good for us to feel love for Jesus Christ. That's why I think it behooves us. You know, Hollywood hasn't given us much good in this world. <laughs> but the passion of the Christ, I think, is a gift. And if for nothing else in the movie, and I know we can argue about all the biblical facts, and it wasn't like this or wasn't like that, and, you know, but if nothing else, the beating scenes, the whipping scenes, and the torture scenes, and the cross scenes from the passion of the Christ, most accurately, and almost all scholars agree, this most accurately depict what actually happened to Jesus in the flesh when he was suffering for us. And maybe it would move our hearts a little bit to go watch that. And I know some of you aren't going to be able to stomach 30 seconds of it. Amy and I went to that movie originally in the theaters on a date. <laughs> that is not a date movie. <laughs> I mean, there was no holding hands and loving each other. Out, you know, no, it's horrible. I have problem with torture scenes on television shows today, you know, let alone I mean, when they're taking a hammer and breaking someone's knuckle. I mean, I feel that. And yet you see Jesus, the son of God, totally innocent, doing exactly what God's called him to do and never hurt anyone. Only loved the people. 
And he goes through all that he went through. Not because he deserved it, because we deserved it. And he says, hey, let me do this for you. How can you not love him more? But do whatever you need to do this, this season as we come into Easter to remind yourself of why you love Jesus. What he's done for you. What he's done on the cross. And how he loves you so much that it, he willingly went there for you. Make it personal. I know you can think, well, he went there for everybody. All the Christians, you know, sitting here this morning, those around, yeah. But he did it for you. He did it for you in, in the spirit of Romans where it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were getting better. Not when we deserved it or earned it somehow. No, while we were still spitting in his face, yelling crucify him with our sin, Christ died for us. He was our sacrificial lamb. And I just don't see how you can follow him and not love him more. If you want to answer the call to follow me when Jesus asks, following Jesus means that you love him more. First Peter, we just did, did a series on that, just completed it a couple weeks ago. Uh, I want to remind you of this scripture from our first week in First Peter. First Peter 1.8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now in the flesh, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Inexpressible and glorious joy. You love because you love Jesus. Following Jesus means you love him or that you love him more. The last thing this morning, following Jesus means you will join him on his mission to seek and save the lost. Following Jesus means that you will join him on his mission to seek and to save the lost. It was a non-negotiable. Let's read it again. Matthew 4, beginning with verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's what they knew. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left those nets and they followed Jesus. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Wow. And these men got to walk with him 365 for three years. Got to hear his teachings and see the miracles. But let's skip ahead. I want to end today by reading John chapter 21. John's gospel chapter 21. Let me bring up the speed on what's happened. Jesus has been tortured and killed and crucified on the cross and died. And then he was resurrected from the dead. The disciples have run to the tomb and saw the empty tomb. Praising the Lord, they have left. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Jesus appears to the disciples. Jesus appears to doubting Thomas. You remember that story? He's appeared to them several times. And then we get to John chapter 21. Now check out what's going on here. Keeping in mind, we read the call in Matthew chapter 4 for these ordinary men. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. He appeared to them many times after his resurrection by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. I love, I love the way John says it there. He's like, hey, it went down like this, okay? It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zeb, 
those guys, Zebedee, they were there, and two other disciples, they were all together. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. And I'm thinking, yes, here they go, fishing for men. We read on. We'll go with you. And so they went out and they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. What are they doing in a boat? Hmm. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, probably because of the distance to the shore. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? I wonder what Jesus was really asking there. Was he asking about fish? Was he asking about men? No, they answered back. And he said, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. As you read down there, I'll just summarize. Uh, as you read down there, 153 large fish were caught in the net and they were overjoyed. And then they realized, oh, who would know that the fish are underwater on that side of the boat? That must be Jesus. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and, you know, chariots of fire, plays in the background. He runs to the shore and jumps into Jesus' arms, and, you know, and they have this reunion and it's glad and they got their fish like they wanted, right? The problem I have is what happened here, folks? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus has just died. He's shown his power over death through the resurrection to an empty tomb. And they go back and fish for fish. They go back to the old way of life. They go back to what they knew from before. And then we're going to skip down a few verses to verse 15. What happens next after this glad reunion? When they had finished eating, so Jesus shares this. They catch these fish. They share this meal of of fish together. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I was like, more than these people? More than these fish? Yes, Lord, he said, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He's not talking about animals, folks. He's talking about people. Fish for people feed my lambs. In verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. See, there's a problem here. You've got to have some sheep to take care of, some people, right? Verse 17. For a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this a third time. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. <laughs> you know all things. You're the son of God. You're all-powerful, all-knowing. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This call of Jesus here for Peter is not a call about animals. It's a call to take care and to teach 
the people that he was supposed to be fishing for and that would later become a part of something we call the church. You see, Jesus' final marching orders before he ascends to heaven is this. We talked about it last week. Every Christian should memorize this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The three-year, 365 plan. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then Jesus tells them, and I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I will be with you on this mission. You go and you make disciples. I think it was with a sad and heavy heart that Jesus shows up in John 21 to find them fishing for fish again. Man, what are they doing? And Peter, you of all people, one of the closest disciples to Jesus. But remember, he just come off a time just a few days ago where he denied Jesus three times. Many, many scholars and historians believe that this was Jesus' way of reinstating Peter into you know, being a follower and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Peter denies Jesus three times, and three times Jesus affirms in him, do you love me? Then fish for men. Do you love me? then take care of people. Do you love me? Then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Get back to the gospel mission. Get back to serving me. Get back to being fishers of men. Because when you do that, Peter, you follow me. And Peter got off course, but guess what? He got on course. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what Peter becomes. By chapter 2, he's preaching in Jerusalem. He preaches a sermon, 3,000 baptisms after his sermon. Just for the record, I've never had that happen. So, 3,000 people are baptized after his gospel message in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people move to give their hearts and their lives to Jesus. Guess what? It's not far longer that we read what we'd started with in the message today in Acts 4.13. These unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus are now causing a movement that by probably Acts chapter 6, for sure by Acts chapter 8, there might have been 30,000 baptized followers of Jesus just in Jerusalem. Why is there this tension? Why does the Sanhedrin keep coming to them? And it's because... There's this whole Jesus thing going on. Why? It's because some common, ordinary men said, you know what? I'm making it a priority in my life. That I'm not going to just fish for money. And I'm not just going to fish for food. And I'm not just going to fish for sport or hobby or fun or pursue any of these fishing expeditions in my life. No. Jesus says, to follow me, you will fish for men. And if you look behind you, you will find a trail of the men and women that you've shared your faith with, that you've shared the gospel with, that are now following Jesus themselves because you did what Jesus asked you to do.